I don't know how many years it's been since I actually used notes in a homily, probably about eight years. Um, but the events of the last few days uh, uh, urge me to be somewhat cogent and, and perhaps more, more coherent in my argument. Um, of course, I'm speaking about the, uh, the reversal of Roe versus Wade and, and also Casey. Um, and so I want to talk about this because, um, number one, it's, it's obviously a very important issue for, for Catholics and, and the entire country. And I also want to give you the church's perspective. I'm not, not so naive to think that every Catholic agrees with the church's perspective, but you also should probably not be so naive to think that I don't agree with the church's perspective because I wholeheartedly do on the issue of abortion. In fact, I could, if the church changed that position, it never will. But if the, if the church didn't hold the position it does, there's no way I would be a priest. I wouldn't even be Catholic. That's how resolute I am in this. So let's go, let's go about this. Um, the first thing to, to understand about the issue is it's not principally for Catholics a political issue first, although obviously it is also a political issue. Because the, the teaching from God to protect the defenseless is something that has existed for, for centuries and centuries. Um, the second thing we have to get at is uh, some people will say, well, Father, you can't talk about political issues in church. That's, of course, erroneous. I can. What about the separation of church and state? It doesn't exist. You won't find it in the Constitution. Let me, in fact... Quote the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Remember, the, the framers of our Constitution came from countries where generally the monarch would determine the faith of, of the people in those countries. And so they had no choice but to follow the monarch, or at least you know, look like they were following the monarch and, and their particular view or practice of, of religion. And so when, when our country was established, the First Amendment protected people of faith from the government. That's what the First Amendment does. It says the government is not supposed to get involved in religion, but is supposed to protect the rights of those who are religious to be able to exercise their beliefs, not just in church, but in public. That's what free speech really is. If we don't have, and some people say, well, you can say whatever you want, but you have to suffer the punishment. That's not free speech. And yes, there's some speech that goes too far insofar as it incites violence and the rest that can't be protected. But the free exercise of religion means that we should be able to state our beliefs wherever we want, and the government should protect that right and should never usurp that right or coerce people of faith or people of no faith, whatever their beliefs, people, no matter their beliefs that they have, should be able to enter into public discourse without fear of retribution. And so, uh, and I'm sure that, that some of you have, have read this or seen this, but let's, let's be clear about what the Supreme Court has done. The Supreme Court has said there is not a right in the Constitution for abortions. That doesn't outlaw abortions. 
It sends it back to the democratic process. Remember, there are three branches of government, and I, I don't think this is a, a false assertion that when we look at particularly the legislative branch of government, Congress, it's largely ground to a halt. There's, there's an inability for them to work with each other, to actually enact laws, to actually you know, do, do what they're supposed to do. And so the easiest thing for them to do is to kick as many things up to the Supreme Court and let the Supreme Court make decisions therefore exempting the democratic process. It's kind of a cheap way to get what you want, particularly with abortion, which for decades people have criticized uh, the Roe versus Wade decision principally because it's bad law. And there's plenty of ar ar articles and arguments that will demonstrate that, that the, the position that they took was bad law, that it was bad reasoning relative to the Constitution. So by kicking it back to the states, the Supreme Court is giving this question back to the people, which as a republic, we should desire as many things as possible emanating from the will of the people through the democratic process. And so if one state decides X, right, the voice of the people is heard. That's what we believe as, as a republic. And there are some things that ought to be protected by the Constitution, of course, and the Supreme Court is to make those decisions. So, Declaration of Independence. This line is the founding ideal of our country. This line, you probably remember it. You probably had to memorize it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. We're not to be ruled by Congress. We're not to be ruled by a king. We're not to be ruled by the Supreme Court that we are a representative government and we elect people to represent us to secure the rights that have been given to us by God. The government doesn't bestow these rights. God has already bestowed them at our creation, not at our birth, at our creation. And that it's the government's job to secure these rights. And the, the principal rights, we know this, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. From those rights, all other rights come forth. So you can extrapolate some other rights from those, but if, if you try to extrapolate rights that contravene life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness, right? You, now you're off track from our founding ideals. This is principally seen in the issue of slavery. In 1857, the Supreme Court, the Dred Scott case, 1857, the Supreme Court decided that people of African descent did not have the rights from our Constitution because they weren't actually citizens. And so the Supreme Court decided that, in fact, slavery was justified because people of African descent, they, they, since they weren't citizens and couldn't become citizens, and it's, and it's said, I mean, it's actually pretty, it's really awful language, but because they were seen as less than human, they were not given or afforded those same rights. 
What's interesting about that is the Supreme Court didn't reverse that decision. It was actually the consent of the governed that reversed it in 1865 with the 13th Amendment. But nonetheless, slavery still had, has, had existed in our country from when we were colonies through our founding in 1776, but it had existed in our, if you will, country for 339 years. There was certainly precedent to maintain it. But the problem was that the Supreme Court at that time neglected those first three principles, that all men are created equal, all people are created equal. They're not given equality by the state, they're given equality by God at their creation. And therefore we have to uphold their right to life. It's the first right. And the Supreme Court neglected that when they made this decision in the Dred Scott case, upholding slavery. And the will of the governed said, no, this is not, this is not acceptable for us. And of course, thankfully, and we just actually uh, had this commemoration of this last week, that all of us are created equal and should have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the Supreme Court is not above making bad decisions, horrific decisions. And there is an analogy between slavery and abortion. And the analogy is this, or this is how they are like one another, is that with slavery, you had one person who had autonomy over another person. And the way to justify that autonomy or authority over the other person was to say that that person wasn't really a person, that they were less than a person. And therefore, that's why another, you know, an actual person could have that authority over them. And so when we look at abortion, it's much the same thing. We, we were saying, no longer, although in certain states it's of course still legal, we're saying that a woman has authority over her unborn child and it's not God who gives that child the right to life, it's the mother. Just like a slave owner is giving the right to life to his slave, so too with abortion, it is, this would be the position of those who are pro-death, that it is the mother who bestows the right, not God, the mother who bestows the right to life on the child. And there's all kinds of you know, problems with this, right? And one of the main arguments you're gonna hear is, you know, it's the woman's body. And she has a right to choose what to do with what she wants with her own body. From a Catholic moral perspective, that's not true. It's not true. We do not have the right to do whatever we want with our body, not according to God's laws, but it's also not true in civil law. We're not able to do anything we want with our bodies. There are restrictions on our freedom. And so when you look at, well, is the unborn child the mother's body, or does the child have its own body? We already know the answer. The question is whether mom has authority over baby who is growing in her womb. When a mom goes, mom and dad go and get an ultrasound, 
Why would you do that if there wasn't another body to listen to and to see? You go and you get an ultrasound and you hear the heartbeat. What's not the mom's heartbeat? It's the baby's heartbeat. We know this. Biologically, it's just true. The mother is providing safety and security and nourishment and love to her unborn child growing within her womb, which is distinct from her. And she will continue to do this after the child is born because human babies are some of the most helpless babies in, in the entire, you know, entirety of nature. So she will provide the same thing to the child after the child is born that she's providing in the womb, albeit in a, in a different manner. But morally speaking, we certainly do not have the right to, to do whatever we want with our own bodies, much less so the right to do whatever we want with another body. The lie that's being told is that this is just about bodily autonomy. If that were true, why does the unborn child not have bodily autonomy? Why does the unborn child not have the right to life? And why would we say in this occasion that the rights of the child are left to the mother, not to God? Even in casual conversation, you, know, you just imagine a, a pregnant mom coming up to you. I have a horrible story. Do you wanna hear this horrible story? It's so embarrassing. So this one, we need a little levity. Um, it's years ago, nobody here. So this woman comes up to me and I'm like, oh, you're pregnant again. She's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> oh my gosh. Never make that comment. Wait until she tells you. She's like, no, I just haven't lost my baby weight from the last one. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go now. I'm so sorry. But you know, a pregnant mother doesn't come up to you and, or you don't say something like, wow, that's great. Your body is just your body. You know, you, you say, well, you're, you know, you're pregnant as a boy or a girl. It would be a strange thing for the woman to say, well, no, that's just my body. It's not a child. What do you mean it's not? It's just my body. No, it isn't. It's a child. What are you having? Boy or girl? When do you do? Etc. Right? We don't even act this way. For instance, in a in a more difficult circumstance, you know, you we've we've seen stories where, you know, maybe somebody's inebriated on the road and they get into a car accident, and unfortunately, mom and who is pregnant, you know, is killed. That person is charged with double homicide. Well, why would you do that? If it's only the mother's body, it should just be single. Well, why do we charge with double? Because in that circumstance, we recognize the dignity and the existence of the unborn child. There's all kinds of contradictions that we live with or have lived with because of Roe v. Wade. So the... As we move forward with this, obviously, the, at least currently, the issue is going to be returned, it has been returned to the states for the democratic process. You are going to be confronted with many conversations about this, but even more so within your homes and within your own conscience. And perhaps the easiest way to look at this is simply this. If you ask Jesus, what does he think? What would he say? 
Jesus, is it okay to kill my baby? What would he say? And we're Christians. That's the easiest way to even defend our position. We follow Jesus even before we follow the Constitution. We follow Jesus. Many women have had abortions, as we know, and I'm sure many are here, and many men have cooperated with it. And to those who have had to make that decision, I don't know the circumstances and I never will. And we know that this is a very complex issue and many women have had to make that decision or even have been forced to do that. I just want everyone to know that no one will ever condemn you here. That the only thing we want for you is love, acceptance, and God's forgiveness. Yes, we need to assert what we believe to be true, but we will never assert that without love and without true care for all of you. And so I urge you, it's, it's, um, throughout my priesthood, usually the women who come forward and confess an abortion, it's been 30, 40 years. And just in my experience, a lot of times, what had been done years ago takes a while to really hit. And sometimes women hold on to it because they don't feel like they should be forgiven or could be forgiven. But I want you to know that no, and, and not even just on this issue, every other issue, but particularly on this issue, God wants you to know his forgiveness and love and grace. And here at this church, we will always celebrate life, whether it's an unplanned pregnancy, whether unexpected pregnancy, whatever it is, we will always celebrate life, no matter how that comes about. And if there's any girl who gets into a difficult situation like this, has an unplanned pregnancy, girl or young woman, we will help you. We will protect you. We will support you and we will love you. We will always be here for you. This is how we need to be as Catholics. We always need to be loving and supportive, seeking forgiveness for those who need it and giving our support and love to those who need it as well. And finally, as we move forward with this, people who disagree with us are not our enemies. They might be our opponents in an argument, but they're not our enemies. Every single person, despite their positions, are a human being created by God out of love. And so as we move forward as a country and just as a community, let's maintain that mutual respect, right? St. Paul talks about it today about consuming and attacking each other and how bad that is for Christians. We can't be that way. We can move forward together maturely stating our positions, but stating them with love and compassion. Please stand.